You're listening to Deliberate Living, a podcast that inspires, empowers, and encourages listeners to live life more authentically. My name is Holly Priestley, and I'm a full-time nomad and creator who has been living in my 1997 Ford van since January 1st of 2019. I travel the United States with my dog, learning how to live with more authenticity. I explore different ways people choose to ditch the prescribed life we've all been sold and live on their terms, finding freedom and happiness however they choose. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Deliberate Living Podcast. I am your host, Holly Priestley, and this week we have a return guest. We have Christine Reed. She's the author of Alone in Wonderland and in the future, many other books, many, many books. (laughs) No pressure. Uh, No pressure. So many books. Uh, so if you haven't listened to Christine's first episode on the show, I will link to that in the show notes below. Um, but this week we are going to talk about something that is a little different, but also very um, important right now in the world, <laughs> especially topical, very like very topically relevant, um, for everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, deliberate sterilization and, I'm very excited to have this conversation. Christine recently went through a tubal litigation. That, that's the right term? No, it's, uh, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember. There is a specific word for the removal of tubes. Tubal ligation is like having your tubes tied. Okay. So you had your yeah. remove, remove, not tied. Yes. Yep. Okay. So there's a difference between the two of them. We don't know what it is right now. <laughs> I can't remember the word. It's a really long kind of funny word. Would recommend asking your doctor, not your local (laughs) podcaster. Um, So we're going to talk about uh, what went into that decision um, before, during, and after what the process was like. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation to have, very topically relevant. So Christine, uh, thank you so much for being here again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched (laughs) to talk about this. Sweet. Awesome. Um, and so maybe let's start like way before, um, this happened, like maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what was Christine's, uh, like approach to the future and potential reproduction? Yeah. Um, I think I had sort of the like standard, just, I'm going to do what my parents are going to have done sort of, mm-hmm. you know, vision of my future as a child. And I really thought I would have kids. Um, I even wrote an essay in 10th grade composition about how being a mother and a housewife is a full-time job. And it is like, and it is to be fair, <laughs> it's way more than full-time. It is. I'm not rescinding that <laughs> statement, <laughs> but, but I, I thought that there was like nothing higher than being a wife and a mother and that we should really have women go back into the household because families would be so much better off if we did that. And I still stand by that. And I wish <laughs> I could find that essay because I'm sure it's probably like would be great to look at. Um, but I, I remember writing it and I remember my teacher talking to me about it and telling me like, what a good job I did. Um, but also I was really encouraged as a young person that I would definitely go to college. I would definitely have a career. I would, you know, be financially independent and not rely on a man and all of this things. So like a lot of the messaging I was getting as a young person was really more focused on me as a professional, me as a career person, um, and not so much thinking about getting married or having kids. And it's a really funny thing when I hear other people talk about 
how, you know, their parents are always asking them like, when are we going to have grandbabies or when are you going to get married? And I'm like, my parents fucking never asked me that. They just didn't put any pressure on me in that way, which I super appreciate. My parents have recently stopped asking me, which is nice. Like, and I think they asked me more out of um, like reflex than actual expectation because I have never <laughs> wanted to have kids. <laughs> so I think, I think they just reflexively ask. And I'm like, I gave you a dog. Now they it's have like, two, <laughs> like <laughs> they have grand dogs. Don't you love this dog? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you don't understand. Cause you don't love dogs, but my family <laughs> loves dogs. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I definitely thought I wanted to have kids, you know, I went through that phase in my late teen years, maybe early twenties where I like had a few names picked out and I was like, I'm going to have five children. And like, you know, I went through all of that and, you know, I have one brother, like we were a family of four. Um, my mom had six brothers and sisters, so she wanted only two. And I think, you know, we had only two, my brother and I were not close. So I thought more is better. Um, you know, so I went through all of that in my early years. And then in my, in my early twenties, I started to have a lot of reproductive health issues. Um, and I had like many, many medical procedures to excise small portions of my reproductive organs. Um, and, and around that time, I also went through some like rough dating things and I just got a little bit cynical about it. And I actually was engaged at 19 and then broke the engagement and, and I went from that to like going into like a kind of slutty phase where I was just like, I'm just having fun. Like meeting people is great and drinking a lot and like not looking for a quote, like partner. Um, and that's when I started to consider the option of not having children, I guess. So often we're kind of culturally, um, just taught that that's what you do and that, like there's not really a lot of conversation around like options. Like you could just not have kids, and like have a totally other lifestyle, or you could not get married and just be single your whole life. And like, that's a valid option and not something to be like sad about if it's no, but we you. weren't presented that like, even I feel like our generation is more uh, progressive than our parents who were more progressive than their parents. Sure. Um, but even still, yeah. Like I had the messaging, you go to college, you get a degree and then you go get a job and you get married and you have kids and like, there's a way things are done. And so those yeah. options, if you saw an older woman who was like single, you know, she was a spinster and she was unfulfilled and she was miserable. And like, she probably wasn't, but that was the <laughs> cultural messaging around it. <laughs> yeah. Like not finding a partner is kind of seen as a failure. Yeah. Like you're not good enough. Somebody didn't pick you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I had a huge fear of that, you know, when I was younger and then I just, I just started to think about like, I don't like, I don't have to prioritize this in my life. I can let things happen when, if they're going to happen and like maybe having children and having a quote family is not the be all end all of my success as a desirable human being. So, and then when I started having all these reproductive health issues, you know, it really occurred to me that I may not actually be able to have children, even if I wanted to. And I think once that enters your mind as a possibility, it comes with like a whole other load of factors that kind of affect what you see your future as. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get 
um, like fertility tested or anything like that? Or was it just one of those, like, clearly my uterus and everything else involved in making babies hates me. Um, so maybe it would also hate if I tried to make it grow a human, um, (laughs) or did you like the doctors say like, you probably shouldn't get pregnant. Um, I was never told that I did not have my fertility tested. It was just one of those like intuitively, like, obviously this part of my body is in full on revolt. And like, why, (laughs) why would I like when, when it can't even do it's like monthly cycle thing without having a freak out, then like, why would I want to try to like have it do the, the big job, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then, so then that leads me to the question of, you know, the big job is a nine plus month job because, you know, nine months ish it's in you ish, but then it takes a long time for your body to like recover and it never goes back to the way it was before. But then raising a human being takes anywhere from 18 years to the rest of its life, really. Um, like was that ever part of your, like, I could have a human for the rest of my life versus like nine months of my uterus sounds like a non-starter. Yeah. I mean, definitely both factors, um, through my twenties, as I sort of explored just like other ideas about what it is to be a person and like options for my future other than being a mom. Um, I just, I've gotten so many passions and things that I'm interested in doing. I started writing and storytelling and I've made a million awesome connections with readers and, you know, our writers group and just people in the world that I want to be connected to. And I think that when you have a child, you, so you can, you can give all of your emotional and human energy to this tiny person and make them the best person that you can, which is lovely. Um, but if you choose not to do that, then you have all of that energy that you can devote to everyone else that you meet and the people around you and the world at large. And I just think that, uh, the connections that I've been able to make and that I see making in my future with other people, um, is something I don't want to give up. It's something I, I want to be able to expend like a lot of energy in the world in that way. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, for me, that kind of energy, like I, I have a lot of maternal instinct. I have a lot of maternal energy, but I don't want to have humans of my own, but I love (laughs) when my friends like call me mom, which my friends do, Mm -hmm. you know, as like a term of endearment. And sometimes as a little bit of a, all right, mom, um, (laughs) sometimes as a joke, but like, I like being able to take care of my people and I have multiple people, but also I get to live alone and like (laughs) sleep through the night ish, except my dogs don't always let me do that. But yeah, I don't have like this human who is fully dependent on me for all of their survival. And instead I get to cultivate, you know, myself and my own mothering energy. And I get to expend that to, you know, many, many, many more people versus just, you know, the one or few that, that I would create on my own. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not, I'm not completely ruling out potentially fostering or adopting children in the future. Um, I just don't see myself like part of it was definitely the physicality of giving birth that I was like, I just don't see that as a possibility for my body. (laughs) Um, 
And part of it is that like, there's a timeline on that, right? Like you can only have your own child until a certain age. And I know a woman, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If you're a uterus person, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I just, I, I want, I'm, I'm not ready at this point in my life. And I don't think I would be ready at the, like by the time that that timeline was up anyway, um, mm-hmm. to devote my life that way to a single person, but I'm not ruling out that that might change in the future. Um, but I do have some friends who are looking to adopt a child right now. And I'm like fucking psyched to have this kid in my life that I will be able to like teach things or just interact with in like a motherly loving way, because I do like children. And like, I think that there's so much value in teaching and like being a source of love and energy for children that, you know, didn't necessarily come out of your own uterus. hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so you are not a single woman. You made this decision with a partner present. Did mm-hmm. he have any opinions? Did they differ from yours? Was this like a, I don't care what you want. This is my body. I'm doing whatever the hell I want. Was this something you guys came to together? How was that dynamic navigating that with another person? Um, it's definitely something I've been considering on my own for many, many years. So it's not like he suggested it or anything. Um, but when we went on our first date, he said, do you want kids? And I said, no. And then I said, do you want kids? And he said, no. And then we high-fived about it. Yes. So, like, <laughs> so you're on the same page. <laughs> so we came, we came to the relationship with the same personal ideas. Um, and then we even did, you know, we, we have gone through different phases of our relationship and we even did entertain the idea of having children for a couple of months. Um, when we'd been together for a year and a half, maybe two years, um, you know, and I was really like conflicted about even talking about it because I have for so long been told, Oh, when you meet the right person, you'll change your mind. You don't know what you want. You're too young. And part of me was just like, don't say that to people. I was so bitter about having that told to me. And then like when I was with him thinking like, maybe I could have a child with him. And I was like, fuck all those people. (laughs) Like all of you for saying that. And like, I'm mad at my own brain right now for even entertaining. (laughs) I feel that. (laughs) So we did, I mean, we did really like go through the exercise of like, how would we feed it? How would we take care of it? How would we manage finances? Where would we live? Like, how helpful would each of our parents be and what, like, we really explored like what it would look like. Um, and even like on random moments throughout the day, every single day for several months, we were like, what would this look like if we had a child right now? What would Mm. like, how would we do this with a child? How, where would the kid be while we were doing this? Um, and, and I think that was a really, an exercise I would highly recommend (laughs) to anyone (laughs) entertaining the idea of children. Um, Cause it was really interesting. It was interesting to talk about how we would parent and, and how we would do different things. And I think it showed us each a lot about the other person that is useful and relevant information, even though we've now decided not to have a child, um, a fun little game to play. <laughs> but so I think once we had done that and then like another year passed after we both kind of came back to like, no, I don't think we want to have kids. Um, I was starting to have symptoms again from endometriosis 
And so I knew I needed to go in and have surgery um, to have that worked on. And when I was in talking to the doctor, I said, would be really cool if you could just uh, take my tubes out or tie my tubes while you were in there. And I expected them to say no, because I've asked so many times about having my tubes tied. And the doctor was just like, oh, yeah, we could do that. (laughs) And then it was almost like so shockingly easy that I wasn't sure I wanted it anymore. Like, because I thought I thought they would just say no. And then I would just keep doing what I was doing, which was doctors (laughs) do that historically, like everybody, you don't know what you want to do with your own body. You're not old enough to make decisions for your own body. Like, how old do I have to be to make decisions for my own body? Yeah, apparently 32 is old enough. <laughs> Dude, I found that out actually yesterday. You don't even know this yet. Um, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday about my reproductive health going a little haywire the last few yeah. months. It's been a little wild. Um, and I told the doctor, like, whatever the solutions are, my main goal is to healthfully not have any of this happen anymore. Like, I don't want to have kids. If my uterus took a hike and didn't come back, that would be fine with me. And they were like, we can, we can send you a referral. Like we can make that happen. And I was like, really? <laughs> like it was, right. it was the very first time a doctor has been like, okay, cool. Whatever you want. Like, and yeah. most of the time they say like, are you sure you're not sure you don't know? Like they ask you a million questions and then they tell you that like, it doesn't matter how you answer them anyway, because you don't know what you want, obviously, because you're just a silly little girl in a grown ass woman's body. Like Oh, man, I get so upset about it. But yeah, evidently 32 is the age when they start letting you make decisions. It's so dumb. Well, and she still did ask me um, several questions, which is fine. Like, I think they should ask, like, how long have you wanted this? And like, yes. why? You know, I think those are valid things to to understand. And but I the thing that made me like a little cringy was like, I have a partner now and I'm, I'm engaged officially. So like they asked about that and I was like, he's not really part of this decision. Like, of course we talked about it. Of course, this is like a thing in our relationship, but like, this is me doing what I need to do for my body. And like, he is not my parent or guardian. (laughs) Yeah. He might be my emergency (laughs) contact, but he doesn't make decisions for me. Right. And the fact that they were like, I felt like maybe a little more willing to let me make that decision because I'm in a long-term committed partnership with someone who also doesn't want kids was like a little yucky. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, if I was 30, but you're 32 and single. So Mm -hmm. good sign. Okay. Yeah. It was a good sign. Um, I hope that that's the way that doctors keep working out. So for me, moving forward, it will have to be like a, can I afford this? Mm-hmm. Because it's very expensive. It will be like at least my entire deductible. And I have a high deductible plan right now because, you know, being self-employed and getting health insurance is expensive as shit. And I spend like $200 a month on nothing, no preventive care, no nothing. Um, yeah. But that's something I'm going to have to look into. But like, yeah, I mean, I've talked to you about it like offline multiple times about like, if I could just never bleed again, that would be great. Cause I don't want kids. I've never wanted kids. Like I don't even like other people's kids. Like I don't, I don't have like my mothering instincts are towards adults (laughs) (laughs) or dogs, like not children. (laughs) They're sticky and they are always drooling and they smell weird. And like, they're noisy. They're very noisy. 
Did you say children are always drooling and you prefer dogs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my old dog doesn't drool at all. My young dog has like a bowling ball for a head and 75% of it is mouth. So he does slime everything. And that's, it's a, a cruel joke that the universe has played on me that is not lost on me. <laughs> but yeah, babies are gross. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, oh gosh, go. And the crazy thing is when I went in and I was telling them my medical history and like asking about being sterilized, which is like kind of a scary word. Um, they offered to do a partial hysterectomy, which is what I always wanted before. But then once they said we could remove your uterus and your cervix, I was like, I, now I'm kind of scared. That sounds scary. I've also heard a lot of people talk about complications with hysterectomy. So I feel like if it's not a medical necessity, like that's probably not the best route to go. Um, but the reason they, they offered that is because I've had precancerous cells and growth on my cervix in the past. And so they said like, you know, we could just get that out of there, um, which I did consider. And do you want me to tell about Googling about your cervix? Yeah. Okay. And if you guys are, if you guys are squicked out by this next bit, like you probably got squicked out from the beginning of the episode. So oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, if you're this far into it, just keep listening. <laughs> keep rolling. Um. And before I keep rolling, I'm going to take a minute to talk about Rerouted, my favorite used gear app. Rerouted lets you buy, sell, and donate used outdoor gear online instantly and automatically. There's no hassle, you never have to deal with strangers, and the process is totally painless. Some of my favorite things about Rerouted are that they are committed to access, sustainability, and affordability for all users. They're also focused on making secondhand gear people's first choice. If you want to get 10% off of your first purchase with Rerouted, click the link in the show notes. And if you want to eliminate their sales fee on your first five listings of items that you clear out of your closet this summer, reach out to me directly and I can put you in contact with them to make that happen. Thank you so much to Rerouted for being a partner in my podcast. So if you've ever been a person with a cervix and had something inserted into your vagina, you might have found that um, things can hit your cervix, right? It's like at the top of your vagina. And so it can like, for some people, it's really painful um, to have your cervix hit. That hasn't been my experience, but I'm definitely aware of it. Um, And so when they were like, oh, we'll just remove your uterus and your cervix. Then I was like, wait a second, like the cervix, you can reach the cervix. Like you can, if you remove it, what's up there? does my vagina just like open up into my guts? <laughs> like, you gotta close it off, right? Yes. So, but I was just like, oh, what happens if they like take that out? Cause it's like a thing that you can contact. And so I Googled what's at the end of your vagina if you remove the cervix. Oh my God. <laughs> I can only imagine. And they sew the top of your vagina closed. And I was like, so horrified. By That's that. better than just having it go straight into your gut area. Well, sure. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, then your vagina is just like a a fleshy condom. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the cervix doesn't do anything but cause discomfort for some people. For some I people, guess, but also there's there's like still then the opening to your uterus. Like there's like more stuff up there, you know, and it's all closed system. Not a dead end. There's like more to explore. (laughs) 
<laughs> so then I read about them sewing the top of your vagina closed. And then I read about like what can happen if that tears or like it goes awry, which is super rare. It's super rare, but it can't happen. And so I like <laughs> was reading all of that. And then apparently if it like opens, then some kind of like vacuum thing can happen where your intestines can like try to come out. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is so terrifying. So then I was like, don't do that. <laughs> don't. <laughs> oh. These are super rare complications. And if you have a, like a good reason to have a hysterectomy, like do that. But, and I like, I do know people who've had good experiences with even that specific surgery where they sew the top of your vagina closed. Um, <laughs> but after reading about it, I was like, since I don't actually like need, need that, I'm going to keep my uterus and continue to bleed for the rest of my life or yeah. another 20 years. <laughs> okay. So then, so you had the conversation with the doctor about getting a partial hysterectomy or tubal removal or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then suddenly it was all like real and you had this opportunity and then you sounds like you second guess yourself a little bit and you're like, I don't know, is this really what I want? What was that process like? Um, I definitely did like a pros cons, right? Like, and, and thought about the future of like, what, what's the possibility that I really could regret this decision. So I like, I thought about that a lot. Um, and, and what it really came down to above all else is just the, the combination of health issues that I've had in the past, mm -hmm. um, with reproductive health issues, but also I have scoliosis. I've had my spine fused. My mom also had scoliosis. Um, and then I have like this form of dysautonomia called POTS that really affects my day-to-day -day life. And I just like looked at all of the, the kind of physical things that I've gone through in my life and how many of them were passed down to me. Uh, and I thought I wouldn't wish this body on another human being. And I feel like it's almost unfair to want to pass on my genetics and see someone look just like me uh, so badly that I would do that to them. <laughs> <laughs> Even though admittedly, one of the reasons Ryan and I talked about having children is because he has gorgeous black curly hair and I have really long, dark curly hair. And I was like, our <laughs> child would have the biggest mop of like curly, dark hair, like you know, there's like a curiosity, right? That's like, what would it look like if we had a kid? Like they would just yes. be little hairballs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they would, they would be the hairballs that people are like, can I please make a wig out of your hair? It would be so beautiful. Like, yeah, in a very cute cherubic way for a couple <laughs> years. And then they would get all gross and teenagery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Hair would be a hassle and a half. I hated having my hair brushed as a kid. It hurt. Didn't like it. Oh. Yeah, your mom must not have been rough enough on yours. <laughs> I got over that pretty quick. Yeah, I think my but, skin like, is like super sensitive because my hair is really fine. I don't, I don't yeah. know. But yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we like explored that. Yeah. And I thought about, you know, the, the pros and cons of having your own child and like the kind of innate reasons why we are programmed to want to do that. And mm -hmm you know, the earth doesn't need any more humans on it. And there are many, many children in the world who need loving families. And if I want to have well, a child, I can do that. 
evidently the domestic production line of babies is like not enough and that's why we need to ban all safe abortions everywhere yeah well i mean if you listen to the news they're always telling these scare stories about how millennials are not having children and how this is some for some reason a bad thing yeah and i'm like i don't really understand like this is i mean i guess we've set our society up to constantly need to have bigger and bigger populations to support the elderly who we keep alive until they are a gajillion years old <laughs> and like we you know we use all of these medical resources keeping people on life support way past the time that they're actually living um and so we need you know humans to work those machines and to pay for the insurance and to pay for the taxes all the all the resources that are going into that um extended life span that we've manufactured um but also you know just like the tax system and all like we just set up our society to constantly need bigger population and like that's not sustainable yeah we don't need that so we we need to figure out what to do now that millennials are quote not having children um which also is happening because we just can't afford it yeah (laughs) i like also thought about that i'm like i you know i'm trying to make it as an author i'm not making any money and like my partner maybe could support a family of three on his salary but it wouldn't be comfortable we'd be poor and like that's hard it's a hard life and it's like only a step away from losing your home or like just so many complications that I'm like that's not a world I want to bring a child into either you know yeah valid so then you decided yes I want this tubal removal uh and why did you go Mm -hmm. for the removal versus just the tying off is that because of the health issues or is that like better for sterilizing the doctor suggested it she said we can just remove the tubes and it's super easy um and i thought great that's permanent i know a tubal ligation there's a possibility you can reverse it and i was like not concerned about that so um i also really like the idea of not having foreign objects in my body and having a ligation, like you have these little like clampy things that are in there. And I'm like, eh, I don't need that. Like, that's just like an extra thing in me now that I didn't need. Um, so I don't know if like medically there is a good reason why she suggested that versus um, the ligation. But she said, we could do this. It'll be easy. And I thought that sounds good. Fine with that, you know. Okay. And how did the procedure itself go and the recovery period? Um, so I had the surgery like April 24th or something. So like just right about a month ago. Um, and there was a little bit of a complication. I had, um, my fallopian tube was apparently adhered to my abdominal wall on the right hand side. So they had to like, I don't know if they like scraped it off or just, (laughs) I didn't get a description of what they did, but I whatever you imagine that being like, uh, they did something in there. Um, but the left-hand side went super smoothly and it was, I also had a big cyst on my ovary on the right side that I didn't know about that they removed. And so I've had much, a lot of pain on the right side, um, with recovery and the left side has been totally fine. So I imagine if all I had had done was like an easy tubal removal, I would have no pain at all. Um, but because I had that um, cyst also on the right side. Plus they had to like, whatever, to get it off the wall. Um, it was like, <laughs> I just like 
painted like a really graphic picture in my mind of what they were doing in there. And that's what I'm imagining happened. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm imagining happened. And that's why my face <laughs> looks this way for anybody who's watching the YouTube version. <laughs> Um, so there was, yes, there was a little bit more complication and I had some bruising and stuff on the right side when I woke up. Um, but I will say I didn't take any narcotics home with me. They obviously offered to prescribe me like oxy or something. Um, and I was like, I, I would rather not take that if I don't have to. So I did uh, a rotation of ibuprofen and Tylenol every two hours. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first two days were pretty rough. Um, I didn't get out of bed except to go to the bathroom. Um, but my best friend came over and we watched movies and we ate snacks and hung out and just like vegged all weekend. Um, and I had the surgery on a Friday and by Monday I was pretty well able to get up around the house myself and get my own stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, of course, I left on my book tour two weeks later. Um, so you're supposed to not lift more than 10 or 15 pounds for four weeks, um, which I mostly obeyed. And <laughs> um, it's hard to be on book tour and not like pick up a box of books. Right. Um, but they said you can cause a hernia if you aren't careful. Um, with lifting things. And so I definitely have like tried to be very careful and, and ask random strangers on the street to lift boxes for me. Um, and now it's a month later and I still have maybe a little bit of like pressure pain on the right side, but I've started running again and am feeling like pretty much back to normal. Uh, I probably won't start doing strength training like abs and, and squats and stuff for a few more weeks, but I think by the end of, you know, a second month, I should be totally fine to do anything. Okay. And how has your brain space been? Are you like so relieved or is it just like, kind of like, uh, like what? I don't know yet. <laughs> In some ways. Yes. Very like, I'm happy with my choice. I don't have any regret. Um, you know, of course, Mother's Day was a few weeks ago, like right after I had surgery. Um, and I hadn't really thought about that. So, you know, since my mom has passed and my best friend's mom has also passed, we usually spend Mother's Day together and we think about our moms and we talk about our moms and we like tell mom stories. Um, and this year I thought a lot also about like my future as a mom or my now non-future as a mom, you know, like that, like now I've very permanently taken that option off the table. And so I, I, I guess now I like can give that some space in my mother's day experience, um, which was new. Is there anything else about your experience or about like just the thought process or even the uh, logistical or political process of getting, uh, I hate the word sterilized. It just sounds so like icky and like impersonal. Um, so like getting non-mommed, um, is there like anything else about that, that you think that people should know, or that we should talk about that I haven't asked? Um, I mean, I definitely just think that it's, a good idea to consider different possibilities for your life. And I think the deliberate living mindset that you're like doing with this show is so much about like looking at what everyone is doing and going like, does that actually serve me? Does that feel like the right choice for me? And I think 
being sterilized or just choosing not to have children is something that we should consciously think about like from a young age have the choice to do it (laughs) and make choices for ourselves right and I think we should uh respect other people's choices (laughs) about what they want out of their life and not say things like not having children is selfish and it's like there are so many very complicated reasons why people would choose not to have children and it's none of your fucking business yeah basically it's none of your fucking business And like the commitment that it takes as a person with a uterus to give birth, like it's not, it's, it's a million things. It's nine months of carrying a fucking person around in your body. And like that affects everything that you do. It affects your body. It affects your health. And it doesn't just affect your health for nine months. It affects your health for the rest of your life. And like some people never, recover is not the right word, but like never like get back to even like a fitness level that they had before giving birth or like lots of people have complications from pregnancy that never go away. And like, this changes your life forever. Plus now you have a fucking kid you have to take care of and provide for and right. Like that also changes your life. So it's like your physical health. It's everything about your day-to-day existence. And that's a huge decision. It shouldn't just be taken into like, you know, Oh, everybody's doing it. I should do that too. My body is programmed to give birth. I like owe it to the world to do that. Like, no, it's a huge decision. Yeah. And it should be your decision. Yes. That you make on your own, not that the government or any doctors make for you. Just, you know, throwing it out there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah, we should let people make decisions. I also think we should make our decisions more consciously. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and so definitely curious what the audience has to say about this. I know that this is kind of a controversial topic in general. Um, I feel like my audience kind of sort of mostly knows how I feel about this kind of subject. (laughs) Um, but I'm definitely, every time I post about, uh, human rights, women's rights, I don't know why women's rights are like their own special thing because we are all humans. Um, people have opinions about it. Uh, And so curious if anybody else has deliberately chosen to not reproduce or deliberately chosen to reproduce. Um, We had Nicole on a few months ago and she was a very much like, don't want to have kids, not going to have kids and then had a kid. And so talking with her about that whole process was fucking fascinating. Would definitely recommend you guys check out that episode as well. And I'll link that in the show notes. Um, but Christine, how can people come find you online if they are not already following you? Although I'm sure everybody is, but just in case there's like one person who isn't, uh, how can they come find you? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm at rugged outdoors woman on Instagram and TikTok, And my website is alone in wonderland.com, um, which is where my book is being sold, but also where I post some like links to podcast interviews that I've done or other things that I've written. And also where I'm going to be on my book tour. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. And so thank you, of course, Christine, for being here for this again. And thank you to our listeners and watchers, everybody who is a part of the show. If you've made it to the end of the episode, that's fucking fantastic. I'm super happy you're here. If you made it to the end of the episode, that means you probably liked it. So if you could go ahead and like it, thumbs up, five stars, all the things. If you're not subscribed yet, subscribe, hit the notification bell so that you don't miss these episodes. 
Um, and if you want to come support the podcast in a financial way, I do have a Patreon specifically for the podcast, and that goes to help offset some of the costs that go into producing it because it isn't free. Um, but also in that Patreon community, you get behind the scenes, you get rapid fire mini-sodes with some of our previous guests. Um, you get extra long episodes, uh, and some, you know, get to know the hosts kind of information. So that's also linked in the show notes, patreon.com slash deliberate living and, uh, tune in next week for another excellent episode. Bye.